Good morning. It's December 9th, and this is The Mop-Up. Happy December 9th, or as Sean Spicer calls it, two days after the anniversary of D-Day. Sean Spicer, remember him? He was President Trump's first press secretary. Now he has a show on OWN or Newsmax. And on December 7th, a day that will live in infamy, Sean Spicer tweeted, Today is D-Day. It only lives in infamy if we remember and share the story of sacrifice with the next generation. Hashtag D-Day. Sean Spicer, right? And he's he was in the Navy, right? Today is D-Day. It only lives in infamy. That was what uh, Roosevelt, the word infamy, he used to describe Pearl Harbor. D-Day was not infamy. Uh, That's former White House uh, press secretary for Donald Trump, uh, (laughs) Sean Spicer. I don't know. Maybe that's what the people who were rooting for the Japanese called Pearl Harbor. Maybe they they called it D-Day. Who who knows with these Republicans? Maybe <laughs> Pearl the attack on Pearl Harbor was D-Day. I don't know. Brittany Griner, the WNBA star, was just traded for Victor Bout, a Russian arms dealer. Plus, there's a signing bonus, so there's that. Uh, Griner spent 10 months behind bars in Russia after she was arrested inside Moscow airport for carrying vape cartridges with hash oil inside of them. Victor Bout is nicknamed the Merchant of Death and was serving 25 years after a jury in New York found him guilty in 2011 of conspiring to sell weapons to Colombian rebels. Nicolas Cage played him in the movie Lord of War, so you could say he's already paid his debt to society. Although he denies it, Victor Bout is supposedly linked to Russia's intelligence services. Meanwhile, with Vladimir Putin conscripting an additional 300,000 Russians to fight in Ukraine, the Russian president took to the airwaves on Wednesday to tell his people that as the war in Ukraine enters its 10th month, there is no sign of it ending anytime soon. Ukraine has used drones to push into Russia, attacking several military bases over the border. Winter is about to set in, with fighting expected to be less intense during the cold weather. Also this week, Putin signed into law a bill preventing anyone from speaking positively about same-sex relationships. The new law prevents any and all pro-LGBTQ propaganda, prevents any propaganda, any displays of non-traditional relationships in movies, television, writing, and advertising. Alexander Kinstein, who wrote the bill, said, quote, a special military operation is taking place, not only on the battlefields, but also in the consciousness of the people, in their minds and in their souls. Today, we are fighting so that in Russia, instead of mom and dad, there isn't parent number one, parent number two, parent number three. Pretty, pretty predictable. Pretty predictable. Speaking of which, Brittany Griner 
has a wife. Her name is Sherelle Griner. She was invited to the Oval Office yesterday to celebrate Brittany Griner's return to America. Here is Sherelle Griner. Thank you, everybody, for your support. Um, and today is just a happy day for me and my family. So um, I'm going to smile right now. <laughs> um, thank you. Meanwhile, here in America, after shuttling between both houses, the Respect for Marriage Act was passed once again by the House, and it now makes its way to President Biden's desk for his signature. Here is Nancy Pelosi, who represents the city of San Francisco. On this vote, the yeas are 258, the nays are 169, present one. The motion is adopted. <laughs> I was emotional, I'm sorry. I don't know if you heard her say, I got a little emotional, I'm sorry. Maybe her greatest accomplishment as speaker, maybe. Speaker Pelosi got a little emotional. So did Vicki Hartzler. She's a congresswoman. Before the vote was taken, she kind of got teary-eyed. Vicki is a Republican. She represents Missouri. And as I said, just like Speaker Pelosi, Congressman Hartzler could hardly contain herself. Mr. Speaker, I'll tell you my priority. Protect religious liberty, protect people of faith, and protect Americans who believe in the true meaning of marriage. I hope and pray that my colleagues will find the courage to join me in opposing this misguided and this dangerous bill. I yield back. The subtext, of course, is that Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler just found out her husband is sleeping with her sister. We get so emotional, don't we? Uh, I wonder if Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler, uh, who opposes same-sex marriage, uh, gets emotional when a member of the LGBTQ community is beaten to death. She just doesn't oppose same-sex marriage. She's against civil unions, domestic partnerships. She voted against banning discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity. She's a pig. Uh, she's against transgender soldiers serving in the military. Hartzler, Congresswoman Hartzler, also supports gay conversion and held an event inside her office, her congressional office, to celebrate organizations that convert gay people. She's a pig. Congressman Ted Lou's office is right next door to Vicki Hartzler's office, and he complained about this event celebrating uh, gay conversion. If you remember, Congressman Lou was on my show back when he introduced a bill outlawing gay conversion therapy in California. Gay conversion therapy has been pretty much outlawed in California thanks to Congressman Ted Lieu. Earlier this year, Hartzler's Twitter account was suspended after she attacked transgender swimmer Leah Thomas by tweeting, women's sports are for women, not men pretending to be women. Did I mention that, that she's a pig? Did I mention that? Elon Musk uh, will have no problem with her being back on Twitter. Uh, Musk has a transgender daughter who hates him, 
When his transgender daughter turned 18 this year, she legally filed to no longer be related to Elon Musk. Musk has put out several tweets making fun of people's pronouns. But in an interview with the Financial Times this year, Musk cited neo-Marxists as the reason his daughter hates him. Vicki Hartzell, Congresswoman Vicki Hartzell, pig. This is a pig. So she cried. She cried because same-sex marriage is now legal in America. Did she cry like that when the Pulse nightclub was shot up in Orlando or when Club Q in Colorado Springs was shot up? To refresh your memory, and here is... The big difference between Democrats and Republicans. This is the difference. Last month, Club Q in Colorado Springs was shot up on drag night. Some assassin came in, killed five, injuring dozens. President Biden immediately called for an assault weapons ban. And Schumer and Pelosi fast-tracked the Respect for Marriage Act. And Republicans are against both. They're against banning guns, and they're also against the Respect for Marriage Act. Although 39 Republicans in the House, 12 in the Senate, joined all the Democrats in favor of the Respect for Marriage Act. Prominent gay Republicans and donors reportedly worked behind the scenes to get this bill passed. One of those uh, Republicans uh, was uh, outgoing Ohio Republican Senator Rob Portman, whose son is gay, as well as Ken Melman, former chairman of the Republican National Committee. Ken Melman, who came out of the closet back in 2010, six years too late. He was in charge of the uh, Melman lobbied for the Respect for Marriage Act. So he didn't quite redeem himself, but he finally did something good. He uh, he came out in 2010, but back in 2004, when he was chairman of the GOP, uh, he, Karl Rove and George W. Bush staged the most homophobic presidential campaign in American history. For those of you who don't remember, uh, Rove, Melman and George W. Bush and Dick Cheney needed conservatives to come out and vote for Bush's reelection, but conservatives were unhappy. They were appalled with how Bush's war in Iraq was going. So to get conservatives to the polls, Rove, Carl Rove and Ken Melman, who was in the closet at the time, they convinced several swing states to put same sex marriage on the ballot. They figured the conservatives would vote against the homosexuals. They would come out to vote against the homosexuals. And while they were already in the voting booth, they would stick around and cast a ballot for George W. Bush. And it worked. George W. Bush got reelected and the lives of hundreds of thousands of LGBTQ Americans were ruined. They were ruined. And the suicides, thanks to the political machinations of the closeted Ken Melman. They did it. They turned on the gays in 2004. America had invaded Iraq in 2003, and it was a disaster. 
It works. You get reelected when you turn on the homosexuals. It works because when you're losing an immoral war, you change the subject. When conservatives are losing a war, they distract by attacking the LGBTQ. We're seeing it right now in Russia, right? Putin is failing miserably in Ukraine. He needs a scapegoat, someone to blame. So, like George W. Bush, blame the gays. Melman, Rove, and Bush needed someone to blame. Back in 2004, America's manhood was at stake. Men, real men, Republicans, no doubt, from Texas. They don't lose wars. Why is our masculinity in jeopardy? Well, it can't, be it can't be because our leaders got us into a pitiless war. It's the homosexuals. They want to marry. They want to strip us of our manhood. Things never change. When in doubt, blame the gays. Well, the Respect for Marriage Act passed. It did pass. And it's going to get codified into law. President Biden is going to sign it. It passed, but not before conservatives... Conservative Republicans like Congressman Jim Jordan put up a fight. Congressman Jim Jordan is probably going to be the next chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. So get used to him. He said the Respect for Marriage Act is, quote, the wrong way to go. He voted against it yesterday. In 2015, Jim Jordan introduced legislation to pass a constitutional amendment banning same-sex marriage. He really hates same-sex marriage. He's uptight when it comes to homosexuals because he was the assistant wrestling coach at Ohio State University from 1987 until 1995. And during that period, the wrestling team's physician, Dr. Richard Strauss, was accused of sexually assaulting 177 young men on the team. Dr. Strauss, when the investigation began, committed suicide. Four years ago, at least eight former wrestlers on the team said Jim Jordan, Congressman Jim Jordan, knew about the sexual abuse, but did nothing to stop it. Congressman Jim Jordan's locker was right next to Dr. Strauss's, and Jim Jordan has refused to cooperate with the investigation. It's an ongoing investigation. The Cleveland Plain Dealer published an editorial four years ago asking Jim Jordan to finally tell what he knew. Meanwhile, several lawsuits are pending against Congressman Jim Jordan, one of which accuses Jordan of witness tampering. This is going to be the new chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. During the debate on the Respect for Marriage Act yesterday, Democrats brought up the killing at the gay nightclub in Colorado Springs last month. And to his credit, Jim Jordan condemned the shooting. Uh, what happened in Colorado, as the gentleman referenced, um, was wrong. As wrong as wrong could be. We all understand that. Thank you. You know, maybe we can't agree on same-sex marriage, but even Jim Jordan and I can agree that shooting up a gay bar, killing five people, injuring dozens on drag night is a bad thing. Oh, wait, Jim Jordan wants to add something? But you know what else is wrong? Hmm. What else is wrong? Hmm. Uh, being an assistant wrestling coach? 
but not knowing the team doctor molested 177 of the men you're coaching? Is that, that would be wrong. Expecting anyone to believe that a, not a single one of those 177 wrestlers came to you and said, Dr. Strauss, just try to give me a hand job in the sauna. That, that would be pretty wrong. Or even worse, Jim Jordan being an assistant wrestling coach and not knowing that 177 guys on your team had been molested by the team doctor, not knowing what kind of coach, what kind of leader, what kind of future government official, what kind of future chairman of the House Judiciary Committee uh, could not know that the 177 wrestlers he was supposed to be taken care of were molested by the team physician, Jim Jordan. It is worse that you don't know. So you ask what else is wrong? I'm going to say that several of those things are wrong, too. But you tell me what else is wrong. You said shooting up a gay nightclub is wrong. And then you said, you know what else is wrong? What else is wrong? The 100 churches and crisis pregnancy centers that were attacked in the aftermath of the Dobbs decision. Actually, when the leak happened, dozens and dozens of those attacks happened between the leak of the opinion and the opinion itself, all designed to intimidate the Supreme Court. This is a man who lies. He is an immoral practitioner, not even of false equivalencies. This is just a lie. Uh, yes, there have been since the Dobbs decision, a, uh, some, uh, some vandalism, some vandalism at, uh, some churches and, uh, pregnancy centers that, uh, advise people to not get an abortion. Uh, but nobody has shot up a church, Jim Jordan. Some windows were broken. There's been some graffiti. There are some websites that keep track of these attacks on churches and crisis pregnancy centers. And crisis pregnancy centers are uh, run by religious organizations and they counsel women, sometimes under false premises, uh, against getting an abortion. And so they've been spray painted by pro-choice activists. Uh, some windows have been broken. Uh, that is in no way like somebody shooting up a gay bar, killing five and injuring dozens. Uh, yes, some some churches and pregnancy centers were vandalized. It's wrong. Not even close. It's not the same thing. Un, uh, unlike these uh, churches and, uh, and, and uh, pregnancy centers, uh, abortion clinics get firebombed. Abortion doctors get assassinated. According to Forbes, most crimes against abortion providers increased last year. Uh, stalking of abortion doctors, stalking of nurses, the practitioners, increased by 600% in one year. Blockades barring access to the abortion clinics, up 500%. Suspicious packages being sent to abortion clinics, up 163%. People invading abortion facilities and screaming and threatening, up 129%. This is from Forbes. 
assault and battery of abortion doctors and nurses up 128%. Since abortion was legalized in the 1970s, the National Abortion Federation has been keeping track of the attacks on clinics, doctors, abortion providers, and nurses. Since 1977, there have been 11 murders of abortion doctors. There have been 42 bombings, 196 arson attacks, and 491 assaults, physical assaults, on nurses and doctors. This is not even close to bring up the 100 churches and pregnancy centers that got graffitied after the Dobbs decision is malicious. Well, the argument went back to the Judiciary Committee, where Congressman Ted Lieu took exception, took exception to Republicans like Jim Jordan uh, charging that the violence was really coming, really coming from the left and not the right. Here is Congressman Ted Lieu. And when we talk about actual political violence, uh, you know who had their skull hit by a hammer? It was a spouse of the Speaker of the House. Multiple Republicans made fun of that. They circulated conspiracy theories. They said all sorts of things that were not true. Republicans should be ashamed for doing that. So please stop whining about threats to Supreme Court justices when the actual violence of a person being hit in the head with a hammer had to go to surgery was a spouse of the Democratic Speaker of the House. Then Congressman Eric Swalwell asked Jim Jordan to denounce President Trump's call to suspend the Constitution and reinstate him as president. That's a reasonable question to ask of the future chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. Yes, well, Mr. Jordan denounced Donald Trump's termination of the Constitution. Uh, Pre President Trump has clarified his comments regarding the Constitution. He put out another post, I think, a day or so later, maybe, maybe the next day, I can't, can't recall. And that was all he had to say. Uh, yes, Donald Trump clarified that he didn't want to suspend the entire Constitution. He basically said just the articles and clauses that would prevent him from being reinstated as president. That is the future chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan. He just can't seem to bring himself to denounce Trump for wanting to suspend the Constitution. And then for some reason, Jordan, right after this, felt obliged to say this. And everyone knows President Trump. There's no way this guy's anti-Semitic. This guy was the most pro-Israel president in history. Why do the Republicans keep saying that? Being a supporter of Israel doesn't mean you like Jews. It means you like Jews who don't live in America. Put the embassy back in Jerusalem. Abraham Accord. I mean, the, the most pro-Israel pro president we've ever had did more in foreign policy in the Middle East than any president we've ever had. Mm, yes, the most pro-Israeli president in American history. More pro-Israeli than Harry Truman, who recognized Israel when it first became a nation, more pro-Israel than Johnson and Nixon, who provided Israel with the weapons to defend itself, more pro-Israel than Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton, who negotiated peace for Israel with Egypt, Jordan, and sometimes with Syria and even the Palestinians. You know, the fact is 
that Donald Trump and the Republicans have cultivated racists, bigots, misogynists, homophobes, and anti-Semites. But don't take my word for it. Here is Richard Spencer. He is the alt-right neo-Nazi leader who organized the United Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. He was on a show and they asked him why Donald Trump will not disavow Kanye. What do you think about um, Trump not disavowing, really, uh, Fuentes this whole time? He can't. I mean, look, he never really disavowed me. He never disavowed the alt-right. He never disavowed Charlottesville. I mean, he doesn't disavow his own people. He might disavow me now because I've been, you know, uh, anti-Trump for five years or whatever it is now, four years. Um, he won't disavow his own people. I mean, that that he does know who butters his bread. And so, yeah, he's not going to do it. He kind of, you know, he said, I don't know who Nick Fuentes is, as MTG said, you know, shortly after appearing at a Nick Fuentes concert or, or a conference, rather, kind of like a concert. Um, so, you know, it was a deflection, you could say. But I, I just I don't think he's going to do it. And, and I think if he's forced to do it, it would ultimately be a weakness. I, I think any politician that's any Republican that's denouncing this stuff is going to lose. <laughs> Am I still there? Yeah, you're still there. Okay. It's not showing up on my, any okay, Republican that denounces uh, yay is going to lose because they're ultimately denouncing their own people. That's right. <laughs> you heard it from the horse's ass's mouth. Richard Spencer. Kanye appeared on Gavin McGinnis's show. Gavin McGinnis is the founder of the Proud Boys. And McGinnis asked Kanye this week about his presidential campaign, his aspirations. And he was concerned that he didn't think Kanye was electable because he's so pro-Hitler. Well, that's going to be a tough thing to institute. So, so you're president of the United States. The, the Hitler thing does not hurt your campaign. First day I, I, it helps my campaign. It helps my campaign. Then Kanye explained that America must be a Christian nation. The main issue is that Christ is king. Christ is the true king of Israel. Christ is the king of all kings. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you are wrong. And anyone that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ should not be in control or in any influence to anything that America produces, be it media, technology, politics, farming, medicine, prisons. If you do not believe in Christ and you're not following Christ in the decisions that you make, you should have no influence on that. Now, in a couple of months, Kanye will rehabilitate his image. He'll say he was having a, a psychiatric episode, a psychotic episode. However, let's listen to what a person says when they're having a psychotic episode. The main issue is that Christ is king. Christ is the true king of Israel. Christ is the king of all kings. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you are wrong. And anyone that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ should not be in control or in any influence to anything that America produces, be it media, technology, politics, farming, medicine, prisons. If you do not believe in Christ and you're not following Christ in the decisions that you make, you should have no influence on that. That would be somebody who 
is having a psychotic episode. And that's what he says. Something to keep in mind. Carrie Lake ran for governor of Arizona and she lost. She was on some religious talk show yesterday and she had advice for herself and her supporters. People can, for starters, pray. We, we really need God in, in this world. We need God in our hearts, in our homes and in our country. Thank you, Kanye. I mean, Carrie Lake. And then she added. And I know God's making a big comeback in this country. Yes, God is making a big comeback. It's kind of like the reconnaissance, only bigger. Then she talked about Jesus as the father she never had. And then I think about what God, you know, our father is doing. He's imagine if you if your dad said to you, I have such great hope for you. And I, I believe in you so much that I'm going to put you in charge of something difficult. And that's what he's saying to us. He's saying, I've put you all here for these difficult times because I have such faith in you. I know how strong you are. Okay, all this because her father hated her. We all have to go through this because her father was smart enough to recognize early on that Carrie Lake is a detestable human being and he hated her. And now we all have to listen to this nonsense. But there are good people. Yes, there are. There are people who do the right thing. They admit defeat. Jim Jordan cannot admit defeat. Never. Can't admit he's wrong. Donald Trump can't admit he's wrong. Carrie Lake can't admit there's something, I don't know, psychotic about these people. But Tuesday night, Herschel Walker lost. He lost the Senate runoff in Georgia to Senator Raphael Warnock. And here is Herschel Walker. He's doing the strangest thing. But one of the things I said is they, when they called the race, I said the numbers doesn't look like they're going to add up. But one of the things I want to tell all of you is you never stop dreaming. I don't want any of you to stop dreaming. I don't want any of you to stop believing in America. That would be a concession. He, unlike Carrie Lake or Donald Trump or Jim Jordan or all the other people who support Donald Trump, uh, Herschel Walker conceded. Strangest thing. He added. I want you to believe in America and continue to believe in the Constitution and believe in our elected officials most of all. Okay, I have to say, I thought, I don't follow football. So I thought Herschel Walker was a clown. And I have so much respect for him because that, that race in Georgia was a game. And... He was in way over his head, as I would have been. He got talked into it. Uh, but this is a man who uh, I have tremendous respect for. I want you to believe in America and continue to believe in the Constitution and believe in our elected officials, most of all. In Georgia. L listen to this again. He's saying this in Georgia, where Donald Trump, where a grand jury is hearing testimony on how Donald Trump tried to fix the presidential election in Georgia, where Lindsey Graham has to testify, where Rudy Giuliani has to testify before this grand jury because they would not accept the results 
in Georgia. Here is Donald Trump's handpicked candidate in Georgia, not only conceding, but saying this. I want you to believe in America and continue to believe in the Constitution and believe in our elected officials, most of all. Believe in our Constitution and elected officials. I have tremendous respect for him. Tremendous. Tuesday night, though, rough for conservatives. Here is Fox News's racist Laura Ingram. I'm pissed tonight, frankly. Go ahead. Yeah, it's really offensive. I'm mad. She's mad that he conceded. She's pissed that he's lost. Marjorie Taylor Greene is a congresswoman from Georgia, and she thinks the Republican leadership completely blew it. This is for Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham and the rest of the Republican senators. You guys are the reasons why we are losing Republican races all over the country. And this is your third loss in my home state. So let me inform you on behalf of Georgia, this is your third strike and you're out. You don't belong in our state running key races anymore. No, thank you. We don't want your help. Let me let you know something, Steve. I was never asked very often by the Herschel Walker campaign to come speak at any of his campaign events. They only asked me to come to maybe two, I think, two or three. Maybe because he loves America. So there's a bit of a civil war, at least in the House. Andy Biggs is going to challenge Kevin McCarthy for uh, the speakership. The the people who are really devoted to Trump. uh, Kevin McCarthy may not make it as speaker. Uh, The Senate is a little different from the House. Uh, Donald Trump does not speak highly of Mitch McConnell. Here is Senate Minority Leader Republican Mitch McConnell being asked this week about Trump wanting to shred the Constitution. Donald Trump, can you say categorically that you would not support him if you were the Republican nominee? What I'm saying is it would be pretty hard to be sworn in to the presidency if you're not willing to uphold the Constitution. That's what I said, and uh, I just said it again. Sounds like at least Republicans in the Senate want to be done with Trump. Elections do have consequences. For the past two years, we've heard nothing but voter fraud coming out of Fox News. But suddenly, Sean Hannity has had a change of heart when it comes to mail-in ballots. Uh, I think Republicans have been unwilling, for whatever reason, reluctant, resistant, to voting early and voting by mail. Yes, I wonder why. Oh, that's because you and Donald Trump told them not to. But suddenly, after the Republicans didn't do too well in the midterms and they didn't get the Senate, you're all of a sudden in favor of mail-in ballots? All of a sudden you try... Oh, I know what happened. The nearly $2 billion lawsuit filed by Dominion Voting Machines against Fox News, against you. All of a sudden, with a $2 billion lawsuit heating up against Fox News for spreading the lies that the election was rigged, all of a sudden, we see these personalities with newfound faith in our electoral system. Here are Kellyanne Conway and Laura Ingram on Tuesday night. Suddenly, they have no problem with mail-in ballots. 
If we don't bank ballots early, we're going to keep right, losing. But we didn't. This is not, but we didn't. But we this, didn't do it in 2020 because everyone said don't vote early because that's corrupt. Not so, everyone. Well, yes, uh, well big, a lot of people did people at the did. very top of the Republican Party. <laughs> yes, you didn't. people did. And we're being sued for $2 billion because of that. Could it be that maybe the GOP has also gone too far taking away women's reproductive rights? Here's Sean Hannity. Not to pick on Pennsylvania gubernatorial candidate Doug Mastriano, but you look at his position on abortion. He had no exceptions for rape, incest, the mother's life. You in Pennsylvania, I'm talking politically, not morally here. You cannot win Pennsylvania with that position. It is simply mathematically impossible a bad candidate for that race, and it had impact on the entire Republican ticket. Hmm. So I guess uh, abortion is uh, not a, being against abortion, not a winning, not a winning platform. The Republicans, once again, are performing a postmortem. They didn't win back the Senate. They barely have the House, although they did win the popular vote by about five million, but they didn't get the red wave they were planning on. Here is Senator Rick Scott, very corrupt man, right? Defrauded our government, I think like a billion dollars in in Medicare fraud. And so then he became a a senator from Florida. Uh, Here is Senator Rick Scott. He was in charge of winning the Senate for the Republicans. And he went through a couple hundred million dollars, just completely blew through it, complete failure. Here he is uh, talking about the problem that Republicans have uh, winning elections. I think we, ought, we do have to have a message that when, when Republicans run, you say, you're, this is what Republicans are going to get done. Every state race, every race is going to be a little bit different, but we've got to have an agenda. Yeah, you don't have an agenda other than destroying everything you touch. Here is Indiana Senator Mike Braun, Republican. We are basically for nothing, and we complain about it along the way, and then say, well, maybe we'll tell you after we're uh, elected. It's not going to work. What? Let's hear that uh, one more time. Senator Mike Braun, Indiana Republican. Why did you lose? We are basically for nothing, and we complain about it along the way, and then say, well, maybe we'll tell you after we're uh, elected. It's not going to work. Yeah. They're basically for nothing other than destroying our country, other than destroying our country so their rich benefactors don't have to pay taxes. They're for nothing. I think that says it all. They're for nothing, and they won't admit defeat. You know, Americans vote for people who are willing to say they lost. Uh, We don't like Trump, Carrie Lake, or Jim Jordan, Uh, We don't trust anyone who can't imagine that they're ever wrong. Believe it or not, if the Republicans want to start winning again, they might want to stick with candidates who are willing to say this, even though they're losers. I want you to believe in America and continue to believe in the Constitution and believe in our elected officials, most of all. Hmm. I have a lot of respect now for Herschel Walker. I I didn't follow football. I didn't know how great he was. Uh, It turns out he's a lot smarter uh, than he let on. And more importantly, unlike all the Republicans, 
he was surrounded by in this election. He actually loves this country. The Republicans might want to give that a try. They may win elections loving this country. They don't. I'm David Feldman. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe to this channel and hit the like button and recommend it to your friends. Office hours this Friday night, starting at 8, I'm there for the first 90 minutes, and then the community takes over. Please go to my website for the link or subscribe to my newsletter. The office hour link comes with the, the newsletter. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. Let's go to Wisconsin, Green Bay, Wisconsin, where our our friend, Professor Harvey J.K. is standing by. And he is the author of this book that is a great stocking stuffer. The British Marxist historians get this for the leftist in your life. Please welcome Professor Harvey J.K. It's so great to see you again. It really is. I almost want to cry. It's, I'm so happy to see you. <laughs> I almost want to laugh, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, I, I don't know if people realize what a pleasure it is for you, and I, for you and me to be able to see each other with your new technology. And I don't know if they realize, though they must, if they're bothering to tune right. into this when we post it. It's been two months. Yes. Two months. And I can tell you, I've heard from many a person, where's David? Is he Okay. When's he going to come back? Any chance, you know, that uh, he'll he'll do it on a regular basis when he does come back? You know, the, and I and I say he's just resting. He's entitled to a rest. He was exhausted. I mean, you know, not to mention all that extra work you did for the Herschel Walker campaign. Yes. And I was very depressed. I knew about a month ago that Herschel was going to lose and it just <laughs> sunk me into a depression. My listeners know that about two months ago, I got a new computer and the Internet would not work on the new computer. <laughs> and then it was impossible to do interviews with people unless we did it by by phone. And after a pretty rough year of, you know, my mother passing away and yeah. getting arrested and, you know, just all the other stuff that. Wait, you got arrested? I, I was arrested in Washington. When uh, what am I forgetting? Don't you remember? I was. Well, we'll talk about that later. But uh, anyway, no, that, it, you can't drop that in here. And I, you never heard the story of my getting arrested at the Capitol? No. With, with Triumph the Insult Comic Dog? No. You didn't hear about that story? I, no, when did I, when did that happen? I think it happened in June. We were really, try, yeah. Try Google it. It's uh, it was a traumatic experience. I've got the real. I've got the real criminal here, and you're telling me to Google it. I I think I've talked enough about it on the show. Okay, that, that the listeners. Okay, so much for how eager and happy you are to see me. I am glad to see you. I just <laughs> I, anyway. So I took some. I use this as an opportunity to yeah take some time off, do as little work as possible. The Internet so far seems to be working with us. We're about four minutes in and you haven't crashed. Wait, so, but tell me, and we're not at this moment live. We're just recording, right? We're recording. Correct. OK. And we don't want to gamble on trying to. To go live. To go live. Next but week. If we do that, I want to tell everyone with tweets. Right, right. 
Now, what are you working on? What are you writing on? But everybody should go buy your book, The British Marxist Historians. This is your first well, book that you wrote, correct? That was the first book. That, that goes back to, I was writing it in 1982, 83, post, it published in very late 1984, actually in, came into this country very early 85. And it was a book that in many ways was out of the ordinary for me. I won't bother to go through the whole story again, but you know, I trained in history, political science, and sociology, but in Latin American studies. But as a consequence of some encounters I had in my in my doctoral dissertation research, that kind of stuff, I was encouraged and kind of pushed to look at the British Marxist historians as to what they'd have to say about class struggle. And I just became fascinated by them and all the more sort of intent upon doing something when historians my own age in the late 70s had turned away from historical studies into a kind of structuralist Marxism and actually were attacking the very figures who I became all the more fascinated by and encouraged and, and influenced by. So I wrote that book in many ways, not as a defense of them, but the fact that no one was really appreciating the depth and degree of their, of their work regarding whether it had to do with the transition from feudalism to capitalism, or for that matter, peasants and feudalism, or the early modern 17th century struggles in England, the making of the English working class and such things, I wrote that book. And I was, uh, it was successful. And it's really, in a way, it's never been out of print, although it's now with the third publisher right. over the course of nearly 40 years. Um, the publisher is Zero Books, if anyone goes looking. Um, it's, it's a great book for the young or old leftist in your life. There's chapters on Rodney Hilton, Christopher Hill, Maurice Dobb, uh, uh, Eric Hobsbawm. And he writes the intro, the forward, the forward, the forward. Right. He was very kind. He wrote the forward. Right. Um, and the reason I recommend this book is Marx is heavy lifting. This ooh. is a this is a soft entry point into Marx and if you can't read Capital and uh, if you're or, you know, if you're me and you want to pretend you read Capital, pick up the British Marxist historians. It's a great for young people who who want to uh, familiarize themselves with a way to study history through the prism of class struggle is Marxism. We're told it's more popular than ever, but that cannot be true. I, I don't think that's quite true, but let's put it this way. Back when I was working on that book, it seemed to me there was a more dynamic, intellectual set of exchanges going on about Marx, Marxism, how, how, one, how one might read Marx, not merely for the, if you like, intellectual and historical value, but also for what he might have to say to today. Now, today, there's a, there is a dynamic both especially in this country, say around Jacobin magazine and some other and some other places and all the shows that have emerged out of that. Our friend Ben Burgess with right. with Give Them an Argument. Right. Um, the Left Reckoning show. Um, it's no longer produced, but the Jacobin show that came out on a weekly basis that unfortunately he's no longer producing and my friend uh, Cale Brooks. But all of that said, I don't necessarily feel like there's the same kind of, if you like, vibrancy and set of exchanges that, that used to take place. On the other hand, and this is important, 
it's clearly the case that today, whether we're talking about young people in the United States or young people anywhere else, that socialism is not as necessarily a forbidden subject as it once was. And in fact, in that way, maybe it's good because there's now maybe a pluralist understanding of socialism influenced not only by Marx, but by an American uh, radical tradition, uh, these British Marxist historians, those kinds of things. Right. Yeah. So, but I, but you did ask what I'm doing right now. Well, uh, well let me ask you a question oh, before sorry. you, yeah, yeah. Keep, no, no, it's I, okay. I, 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 I said something on the show and I got some pushback that Biden, for better or worse, and you and I would agree worse, he's racked up some legislative achievements that would facilitate his renomination and possibly his reelection, a close reelection. And I, I said, I'm not making the case for him. I'm just saying the Democratic Party is not run by leftists by any right. stretch. And this is what I got pushback on. I said, and this country, sadly, is not as left as we wish it were. Is that true? Yeah, that's interesting. That is a damn good question, okay, which is the kind of thing I've been working on probably now for 30 years. When I started my work on Thomas Paine, it was in part to consider the question you just asked. When I did my work on Franklin Roosevelt and the Greatest Generation, that was definitely a part of my effort to answer the question. Now, here's the thing. In the terms of the politics of the United States today, it is further to the left than it probably has been in quite some time. However, the political establishment of the Democratic Party remains, remains essentially neoliberal. I mean, Bernie Sanders is undeniably a major force, but he's also a contained force inside the Democratic Party. So are you okay, saying you know, that Americans but, are... But I haven't... Wait, but hold on. Okay. But I do I still claim as I've claimed for a long time and I think my historical arguments stand up that Americans themselves are potentially and I say potentially because it depends on how they're engaged further to the left than the politics that prevails in America today. And I say that because let me remind everyone in 2000 let's go back to 2015-16 when Bernie and when the, basically the election for the, in the primaries in the Democratic Party came down to Bernie and Hillary. And over in the Republican Party, Trump basically wiped the floor with the other Republican candidates. There was a survey done in, 2000, I guess it was mid to late 2015, that asked, that's the question, what kind of change do you wish to see in America? And the, the term that explain what the majority of Americans clicked as their answer was radical. Hmm. Now, radical doesn't necessarily, to me, it means left. But to a lot of people, it can mean any number of things. And the most important thing is it, what it meant is they wanted to see dramatic change. And when you look at the polling that was done on everything from national health care to the cost of higher education and the need to you know end student debt, and when you looked at the issues and the answers that implied that Americans, as I said before, were potentially left and there and that when people answered, you know, they want to see radical change. Many of those folks were, were by no means even willing to vote for a Democrat. Here's the thing. So when Bernie entered the campaign as the socialist, well, 
what he called the democratic socialist, and Trump is in there, it seemed as if Americans' aspirations were being answered. Because look, we don't need to go into all of the evils of Trump and Trumpism. But there were things he said that were very appealing to working people who were already for many years suffering Clinton's NAFTA and and a whole series right. of neoliberal policies. Right. You know, he I mean, the idea of the idea of closing the border in some fashion is a, it may well seem reactionary, but it, it addressed people's concerns. And I don't mean their racialist concerns. I mean, it addressed their concerns about the fact that there were all the more jobs that were being offered that were subpar and low pay. Okay, and that they didn't want to do. And so all of these folks from south of the border were coming in and which basically, as far as they were concerned, and by the way, in certain places, it probably did happen, was was in essence enabling corporations to lower their wages in those places. And since nobody was raising the minimum wage, what, what are you going to do? So anyhow, so Trump may have seemed to a lot of people also, you know, he wanted to basically in his own way, it was full of shit. But in his own way, sorry, I'm, I'm using a four-letter word. Which you I already said so Trump. You said Trump. You might as well go for it all. <laughs> right. Might as well I mean, say the F word. Yeah. I mean, he was talking about, you know, trying to inspire, you know, or revive, in, in, you know, manufacturing and so on. So there was the, there were those things that might have appealed regardless of the bullshit that surrounded it and the racism that surrounded it. Bernie was a decidedly appealing force, especially among young people. And I can tell you, and I, you know, it's anecdotal, but a lot of my students would say to me, you know, my family, my parents, and these are like 18 year olds who were just going to vote for the first time, would say, you know, my parents would love to vote for Bernie, but he's now in the final and, you know, in the end, in the general election, he's not on the ballot. So a lot of folks who would have vo who voted in 2016 for Trump in places like Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, would readily have voted for Bernie, which implies that with the right politics, the right vision, you know, the right anger, perhaps, indeed, there could have been a left social, at least social democratic politics. So what I'm getting at is we may not seem to be, I mean, especially given the fascist threat we've endured, we may not seem to be that terribly much to the left, but the possibilities are there. And the sad part is, is that the Biden administration, as I've said many times, like many Democrats, probably since, I don't know, since the late 60s into the 70s, just generally don't have confidence. They don't trust their fellow citizens to offer them the kind of agenda they, they, that, these, that people, working people would want. That's first. Second, in the course of the 70s, I go back to the 70s a lot, is when really the whole question of donations and donors and big business and, you know, the wealthy literally shaping the parties became all the more damaging to the Democratic right. Party. Right. So here we are 45 years later and the polls show Americans want, they want a progressive agenda and even perhaps a radical agenda given the politics of this moment. But it's the case that they're just not being afforded it by Democrats. I like to call them the Bidenettes right now, you know? Right. Um, and so by the way, that's, a, that's, that's not necessarily a, 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 a feminine term or a female term. That's a, a diminutive in language. It means right. the Bidenettes being small-minded and, you know, sort of. So you're not offending women. You're offending little people. 
So just uh, if we're gonna if uh, you're gonna write a letter complaining, well, actually, I think I'm a, I think what it is is that I'm offending marionettes. Oh, good. Okay, but there, in some ways, maybe that is the metaphor. Marionettes are being, you know, yes, they're dancing, yeah. to, you know, to the tune basically that's provided by the guy who who, who owns them. Kevin McCarthy wants to be speaker. We're not sure he's going to be. He's going to make it. He's got to put a broad coalition together. Yeah, I was of, listening today to someone remarking about the fact that I think it was Michael Moore's podcast this week had to do with, have you seen any Republican on television smile? That was his, his way of putting it. So be careful what you wish. I mean, he wants to be speaker in the worst way, and he is going to be speaker in the worst way. Is the same true about Bernie had he won in 2020? Because he said... If I win, it's going to be part of a massive revolution. They said, how are you going yeah, to all these a political revolution? Yeah. That, that there's going to be this Bernie wave. It's, it's just not going to be me. It's going to be transformative. What would have happened had Bernie won, but he had the Congress and the Senate Biden had to work with? He would have been destroyed. There, without an undergirding of leftists in the House and the Senate, he would have been demolished. Nothing would have Well, it would have passed. been interesting to see this. I mean, this is all hypothetical, of course. It would have been interesting to see had he been the nominee, to what extent the Democratic Party itself would have moved, not just Bernie as the, you know, the, the, and his administration, the Democratic Party itself would have moved to the left. I mean, there were quite a few, there are congressmen and women who probably would have been in some ways liberated by Bernie's presidency, okay? I mean, there, you know, how often do we hear about the likes of Jamie Raskin, other than when in mm -hmm. recent times with the, with the investigations and the hearings? Right. I mean, and somebody like him would, might well have come forward as a really significant figure. Um, Levin, Andy Levin, who just lost yes. in Michigan, okay, by no, in some way, actually no fault of his own, they set it up to, to screw him, I, I imagine. I mean, Andy Levin, as a labor, pro, very pro-labor congressman coming out of the labor movement himself, I mean, there are these, those kinds of folks. And maybe then when the likes of the squad come in, they wouldn't have been, you know, I, I shouldn't put it this way. I almost want to say tamed or at least corralled. Right. Okay. I mean, you know, things reverb. Bernie Sanders' election would have reverberated. And and possibly given the agenda that he that he was advancing, and it wasn't quite a vision, but at least the agenda he was advancing, that it's not inconceivable that developments over in the Republican Party might have been a bit different, given they would have had to respond to him and not to someone who was perhaps easier to push around because they were already neoliberals, not uh, not social democrats. I mean, the, it's hard to say. I, the I'm railway just, not, bill. The railway bill. Biden yeah. is forcing on the railway workers. He turned his back on the unions during a lame Yeah, I mean, it's really, it, absolutely, absolutely. Because think of, you know, people said to me, well, he was just doing what was in the best interest of the American people because had there been a strike, there would have been, you know, talk about a, you know, shut down, what do they call it? The supply chain backup, right. you know, $2 billion a day, would have, it would have cost the economy. I mean, children wouldn't have had their Christmas presents. Santa Claus would have ceased to exist. You know, you know, you, you know all right. the story. But what people are forgetting, and this is a big problem, people always take up the issue at the, after the fact. I'm calling this new thing now, after 
the real fact. And the real fact is, is that a few months ago, maybe my count of months is off, a few months ago, he said he was going to take, that he intervened and he was going to take care of this. And what did he do? He walked away from what he thought was a, you know, negotiation, having secured, in, to his mind, a raise and other, and, and other things. But he never really got to the matter, which is really, by the way, a really important matter for, for railway workers, given the terrible conditions that they endure working for those railways. So healthcare, you know, may seem like, you know, a week's worth of, of sick leave, maybe to a lot of people who are used to getting sick leave paid, which, you know, is not a universal in this country, may not seem like very much, but to people who are having constantly to be on call, who have to travel, okay, or basically somebody said to me, they're like, they're like the, the US Marines are on call 24 hours a exactly. day, these railway workers. Yeah. So, you know, for him to basically cut a deal that he thought was a victory and leave railway workers without paid sick leave. I don't care how good their salaries are. If you don't get paid sick leave and you're being punished for, for having taken a sick day, that's, that's in itself kind of morally criminal, I would think. So it's inconceivable to me that a man who, who's postured as the, you know, the greatest friend of labor in the, in the White House since FDR, okay, it turns out to be the guy who, who in the wake of their, you know, of their not losing the U.S. Senate and on the verge of, uh, of the Georgia vote is now screwing the railway workers as if he's only screwing the railway workers. Believe me, the labor movement as such is not going to forget this. Okay, they're just not going to forget this. And I know I was talking to a couple of, of really significant labor activists and one labor leader, and they said, look, whether there's a strike or not is up to the railway workers. Okay, but people are agitated right now. Okay, and you know the biggest mistake Democrats make is they think everything will be smoothed over. Well, they're not going to. It's not going. I don't right. think it's going to be so readily smoothed over. Right. I mean, a lot of people are going to keep talking about it. it's even this week. It's only a you know a week or two since the event, but people are talking about it. People are tweeting it. It's going to go on and on for quite a while. And they spoke of a strike as though it was a Category 5 hurricane smashing into Christmas. Am I being glib when I say a strike is good for this country? A little, you know, maybe we bite the bullet and a little pain for the working people is a good thing. To, to, I, I don't, but I never think pain is ever a good thing. That's my, my but, take. But a, a national but strike, I, shutting down the railways and letting the bosses know who's boss in the long run, that benefits all of us. Yeah, I'm, yeah. If it, it does, if it succeeds, okay. I mean, which it it hopefully would have, but I I I can't guarantee that fact. Don't forget, the first thing I tweeted when this was was in the makings was the, my recollection and my study to very little extent, but more than most people of the Patco strike back. In, the, in early, you know, the first year those or so, were of the federal those were federal workers. They were federal workers, and, 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 and they Reagan can't. They didn't have the a right to and authority to right. fire them all, which which he did. Right. Okay. But here's the other. But this is the other thing. Let's let's also not forget to go back to why people won't so readily forget is that as as wrongheaded as it may be to still operate railways in terms of a law that was passed enacted in 1926, the Railway Act, 
It's also the case that Biden and the Congress did not have to do what they did. They could have acted two to three months ago. That's what I mean by everyone saying they waited to the moment of crisis where it looked like he had no choice. He had a choice weeks and weeks ago. Number one, he could have told the railway billionaires, look, if you're not going to do it, and if you're threatening to do a lockout, I'll take over the railways. I'll do it. I'll sign an executive order nationalizing the railways. What happened when Harry Truman did that with the steel companies? Well, the fact is that it's not an unusual thing. It's not necessarily what you want to do, but it, it would have shown that he was on the side of the workers. And all across the country, working people would have applauded. And by the way, whether I would have liked it or not, he was on his he would have been on his way to reelection. And in, in, right. keeping in mind, if he did that weeks and weeks ago, plus all these congressional figures from, you know, like Pelosi and then the new guy who's taking her place, uh, Jeffries, they all, you know, talked about, you know, how how tragic it was that they were going to have to do what they were about to do. But they could have acted weeks ago. These Democrats obviously were answering to the tune of the billionaires. And by the way, even if they weren't immediately doing so, even if they weren't immediately doing so, the fact is that then they're guilty even more so to the extent that they literally ignored the needs of working people for so long, right? Yep. Yep. The Railway Act, it gives the president the power through Congress, through a bill to force it force the railway workers back to work. Does it force management to accept a contract? No, it, what it is, is that here, here, this is the way to look at it. I'm, Cause I'm not, I don't know the details of the railway right. act, but I want to give you a comparison. Uh, during the Obama presidency, Obama signed an executive order, which by the way, I talked about doing this kind of thing on your show many a time. He signed an executive order. I think it said that every federal Every company that received federal contracts had to afford its workforce seven days of paid sick leave. That was an exec- that was an ex- executive order by Obama of all people. Okay? Right. It excluded the railway workers at that time. What am I going to say? I mean, that I don't know exactly why. But it is the case that Biden might well have tried to issue an executive order that lifted that exclusion. I mean, th- that's the point that they've now, they waited. It's as if they wanted to show, I don't know who they wanted to show. They wanted to show people that they could do exactly what the billionaires wanted them to, right? They saved them $320 million. It would have cost $320 million a right. year to give them five to seven days of sick. Yeah, I read I read David Sirota, I think, on his uh, Lever News right. made some uh, estimation that in three days of profits, they could have paid for the, yeah, the whole it's thing. just it's just unbridled greed. Well, that, that's that literally that's what drives me crazy these days, because to segue, if you don't mind. So I'm working on this piece about Franklin Roosevelt. And I and, you know, unfortunately, for too many years and, and it's not that it, it's not that he doesn't deserve criticism. Franklin Roosevelt was no saint and we could go through all the reasons he wasn't. But I'm writing this piece on Franklin Roosevelt that I've been asked to provide to a brand new volume on the history of American political thought that Princeton is bringing out. So I'm doing this chapter. And as I go back, every time I go back over FDR's speeches, 
What's striking for all of his faults and failings is just how determined he was to literally overthrow what remained of the Gilded Age political and economic power structure. How many people realize that when FDR was president, he not only sought to tax corporations and the rich in an unprecedented way, one, he was so eager to reduce the, the maldistribution of income and wealth that he actually proposed to Congress that they cap, listen to this, cap the amount of money you could accumulate. Okay, I mean, that's pretty, uh, to me, I mean, when have you ever and heard then, that? And then tax right? it, they would tax it. Yeah, right. literally, and anything above it, they, they couldn't keep, basically. And then it, most people might know that during the war, he then also proposed the same, but he, did the, he first did that two years into his presidency because he, he really was concerned about the maldistribution of wealth and income in the United States. He, I mean, he said in 1931, 30, sorry, in 1930, in the midst of the Great Depression, when he was governor of New York, he wrote to a really good friend, John Kingsbury, who was the foremost figure scholar on questions of social welfare in the United States. And he wrote to him and he said, as far as I can see, this country needs to go fairly radical for at least a generation. And that's exactly what he did. I'm not, I'm not absolving him of whatever sins he committed, okay? But it is the case. He was, by any standard, a radical president who accomplished radical things. Why? Not because he, was, not because he wanted to originally do all of those things, but once he proposed in public these things, working people rallied behind him and pushed him to go even further than he had originally proposed. So as I do that, as you know, it's always the case, whenever I'm working on this FDR stuff, whether it was during the, the Obama years or now, you know, with Biden, I keep thinking to myself, God, this isn't, if, if FDR came back again, he, he might be terribly pleased by certain changes that he himself had, you know, could not enact because of the Southern Democrats, but he'd be shocked at the degree to which the, Democratic Party has turned its back on the working class and left the working class without for 45 years. It's partly the fault of the consultants because we could have landslide after landslide. As you just said, if Biden spoke up for the railway workers, we'd have Roosevelt era landslides. The consultants don't want landslides. They want to oh, just. They wouldn't be able to make their money if they can't make their money. And what to do? They make it harder for Democrats to win to justify their salaries. And I'm not. Yeah. I, I mean that. I, I, I know really, you do, and I think there's some truth in that. And I, and by the way, it's interesting as I I've spoken to uh, I've spoken to some to, to some what would you call them campaign managers who have no sympathy for the consultants because they, they cost a lot of money. They take money away from the kinds of things that campaign managers would like to do at the grassroots level. And generally campaign and generally these consultants also tell the candidates not to sound too progressive. Right. Don't sound too progressive. You know, because these consultants want to get hired in the next cycle for a centrist or possibly a Republican. Harvey J.K., Professor Harvey J.K., author of The British Marxist Historians. Go buy this book for the leftist in your life. This is a great stocking stuffer. It's Christmas. It's the time to buy gifts. 
And this is published by Zero Books. How do people buy this? Well, they can obviously they can go online to the, the usual suspects. They can also go online to Zero Books, okay? Mm-hmm. At you know, at Zero Books and order it through Zero Books themselves or a very preferred way for people on the left, Red Emma's Bookshop in Baltimore, okay, is very happy to fulfill orders of the book. If you're in New York City, there are some really good shops that I might recommend to contact, like McNally Jackson down in Soho, also over in Brooklyn. Um, you know, I, it, I can't tell you it's in every good bookshop, but I know that you can pick it up online or in those kinds of stores. Follow Professor And by the way, David, I want to say again, it's great to see you. It's great. You've been missed for two months. Oh, I should also add, you don't have to celebrate Christmas to buy my book. You can celebrate Hanukkah. You can celebrate Kwanzaa. You can celebrate the winter. Is it called the solstice? Whatever whatever drives you. Yes. You bet. And pick up, take hold of our history, FDR. Should I show pictures of Show some, yeah, very quickly. FDR and democracy, take hold of our history. Okay, FDR and democracy. FDR and democracy. Will people there see this? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. FDR and yeah. democracy or the fight, fight for, the, for four the four freedoms, freedoms which is a more progressive book than the, the, the military medal might look. That's not a medal. That's not a medal encouraging war. That's a medal celebrating the fact that the war was over. It's right. the four freedoms medal. Right. Okay. So, I mean, lots of things to get. And then take hold of our history. Here we go. Take hold of our history. My speeches and essays of you know, for the past 10 years and more, basically haranguing Democrats, bewailing the state of American politics and wishing the Democrats were more like what you and I were talking about. Exactly. Follow Professor Harvey JK on Twitter at Harvey JK. Thank you, Professor. Thank you, David. If you're going to be in New York, Christmas, I'm in New York. I'm, I'm, we've started. I'm plugging your gig. Are you going to be in New York, Ethan? On I'm Christmas really Eve? a real pro. I'm a seasoned pro. <laughs> what are, be, well, yes, I'm in New York. I happen to be in New York. I well, I have like, a great idea for Christmas Eve. You should go see Mary Stickmas. Mary Stickmas at the comic strip, the 7 no. and the 9.30 shows? No, my sister, Mary Stickmas. She married the, into the Stickmas fortune. Miss you know the, you know the Stickmases? The Stickmases of... Of Long Island. Island, Long Island, oh, the Long Island Stickmisses. Yes, Mary Stickmiss of Oyster Bay. Mary Stickmiss, Christmas Eve at the comic strip in New York. Ethan Hershenfeld is headlining Christmas Eve at the comic strip in New York City. Two shows, seven o'clock at nine thirty. How do you buy tickets for this? You got to go spend Christmas Eve with Ethan Hershenfeld. Yes. It, how do you buy? You go to Eventbrite, right. eventbrite.com, and you type in Mary Stickmas, or you just look up, go to the comic strip website, the comic strip, and you'll see the, the show. It's, uh, it's happening Christmas Eve, which I believe this year falls on the 24th. Right. Um, now, <laughs> does it? It does. It's, okay. Aaron, it's uh, Motze Shabbos. This <laughs> right. year, it's, yeah, it's a Saturday evening. And it's tradition, this show. It's produced by the very funny D.F. Sweedler, mm-hmm. a comedian, great teacher of comedians. And he has produced this show for years. I've been on the show a number of times. And it's a great night. Um, I've noticed a lot of Jews in the audience that night. On Christmas um, Eve. 
on Christmas Eve and yeah. a lot of Jews on stage. I wonder so, why that is. I don't know. Hmm. But whatever, whatever the reason, it works out. It's fun. And then they have Chinese food on the menu, which hmm. is a kind of Jewish tradition. Um, Chinese food, Chinese in a movie. Here it's Chinese in comedy. And um, it's a funny lineup. And uh, I'll be closing both shows. Seven You'll be headlining. I'm headlining. You're headlining. And also, um, there's a discount code to get tickets, but get them cheaper. You just type in, when it asks you for the discount code, you just type in Ethan with a capital E. And you get a discount. You were thinking of a different discount. (laughs) Now, Shtickness was originally going to be the name for Easter because Jesus was put up on a shtick. And but they felt what yeah. is shtick? What does shtick mean? Is it a German word for stick? Yeah. Okay, let's do some German vocab. So der Löwe, lion. Very good. Okay, next. Die Brille, eyeglasses. Okay, German flashcards. So shtick is a, it means a piece. It's actually stück. In German, it's the U with an umlaut. It's stück, which stuck. is a piece. Yeah, a piece of something. And then in Yiddish, it's pronounced shtick. So it means a piece, but it's just like in English, we would say a bit, like a, a comedic bit. bit. Right. It's a bit. It's yeah. a bit. And it's a bit. Does, does stick come from the same, like a piece of the table is the stick? Yeah, a yeah, piece of the tree, it's a stick. I believe so. Yeah. And while you're at it, go by Today Is Now. Today go, Is Now. Today Is Now by Dr. Samuel Benjamin. Yeah, This is me. a great gift. If you want to laugh, and it has the Feldman guarantee, if this book doesn't make you laugh and feel better, go to I an will... emergency room. Go to an emergency room. That means you're dead. Seriously, let me buy this book. And if it doesn't make you happy, I'll reimburse you. Great. And uh, if you do buy it, um, then get in touch with me and I will sign it for you in person as Dr. <laughs> Benjamin. Dr. Benjamin is like an alias. It's a uh, he's a guru. He's a self-help um Maven, he's a he's a therapist, he's a coach, he's a, a spiritual guide. Um, and the beautiful thing about that character, which we created last year, it's part of a mockumentary that we're still editing, it will be out soon. The documentary, sorry, mockumentary is also called Today Is Now. The great thing about Dr. Benjamin is, like a lot of therapists and spiritual leaders, he can be very helpful even though he doesn't know anything. <laughs> like the, the, the two are not contradictory. Right. There, there's a tradition in folklore and it occurs, for example, in, it occurs in Parsifal, the Wagner opera of the, this pure fool, the, the fool character who can actually be a window into enlightenment. Hmm. So there's something about the foolishness and the simplicity um, someone who is not encumbered by all sorts of complicated thoughts and through their simplicity, they can lead you to something actually insightful and important and helpful. So that's sort of how Dr. Benjamin functions. He's, are you, uh, are you right now with the solstice coming up the 21st, mm-hmm. right? That is the shortest yes. day of the year. Yeah. Do you get depressed? Do you get seasonal affect disorder? Do you get sad? Um, 
I get, um, I don't get seasonal affective disorder, but every day at dawn, I get depressed. <laughs> <laughs> it's, da- it's daily affective disorder. Oh, dad, as Dr. <laughs> daily affective disorder, dad. And a lot of people get it. Um, right at dawn, I just feel like, why bother? Like, uh, but then, you know, then you face the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I wake up, I wake up in a good mood. That's amazing. That is great. And then I roll over and go back to bed. And uh, yeah, people this time of year feel can be a little uh, a little sad, a little sad. That's why they should go to the comic strip on on Christmas, Christmas Eve and and spend. Now, this is an interesting dynamic, because now that we're able to do this again, yeah, we br- we bring in your father. Yeah, we're like, we're slowly reintroducing solid foods into my right. audience. We're going to be yeah. able to ease back ease back into this. It's been two months since we've really? done this. That's yeah, amazing. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like after a after a fast, you want to first start with a little broth or maybe mm-hmm. something, and then slowly. Right. I found out speaking of broth that my best friend who who has a regular breakfast, he does it daily on work days at a, at a particular greasy spoon at a diner. It turns out what he's, what he's having, he has his black coffee and then he has matzo ball soup, hold the matzo ball. So he just has chicken broth with some pepper. That's his breakfast. And he says it keeps him full all day now, Hmm. but the way they, they order it, like in the waiter in a Greek diner, they have their code. Um, um, when they yell to the kitchen. So what they say is, a matzo ball, just the juice. <laughs> or Hitler, no balls, so it would be uh, Hitler with the juice. Yeah, just Something. the juice. It really sounds like, just the juice. <laughs> and the coffee. Do you think Hitler really uh, had one testicle, or was that part of some kind of CIA or OSS mind game. Yeah, it could have been. And then there, there was there was that funny song about it. Uh, I don't Hitler. remember. Uh, Hitler, Himmler had only one ball. Himmler had two, but they were small. Himmler had something similar, and poor old Goering had no balls at all. Something like and that. that. And that was sung during World War Two. I believe so. I just ma- I ruined it. I massacred it. But uh, yeah, I think so. Now, we, did you did, did you sing opera in Germany? I did. Uh, I had a, a bunch of jobs over there. I had more jobs in Italy, but um, I did have. Yeah, I did sing uh, in, in in Germany. Best meal you ever had in Italy? Best meal was at a place. Okay, there's a town called Modena. Modena, which is actually where Pavarotti is from. Is that where I get my uh, red balsamic vinegar? That's right. They make that very thick balsamic vinegar from there. Uh, there. Um, there is a restaurant there called Osteria Giusti, G-I-U-S-T-I. You can look it up. Osteria Giusti. Incredible food. They've been serving there for about 500 years, not exaggerating, probably 600 years. And it looks like a little deli you walk into and then they invite you to the back. You go, you kind of have to duck, go through a little archway to a tiny room with four tables. And that's the restaurant. And they have a, yeah, it's a family thing. It's been going for many generations and it was uh, delicious. And they make a thing called a gnocco fritto, gnocco, like gnocchi, 
but it's not like the potato pasta. It's just a little bit of uh, dough that they deep fry in olive oil. It's just mm. a fried hunk of, and it was the most delicious, like very simple items done for many years to perfection and just incredible flavors where I wanted to fall off my chair and die happy right there. Was the, it the, the ambiance? I'm sorry. No, no. The owner who was part of the family, she explained to me that they, until quite recently, that that used to be fried in lard. Now it's fried in olive oil. But by recently, it means about 80 years ago, they changed the recipe. Right. So. Worst meal you ever had in Italy. Oh. Is it possible to get a bad meal in Italy? I guess you'd have to go to like Starbucks. Yeah, I don't. I honestly can't remember having. A Can bad you be one. unhappy in Italy? Yeah. Yes. That, that 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 that's a problem. You can be unhappy anywhere. You can, in fact, that's that incredible sketch. Adam Sandler, when he was on SNL about four years ago or five years ago, he did a a sketch that was a spinoff on Pirelli Tours. You know that Pirelli, right? Right. So this one, he he does the ad. It's very funny. You got to look. It's one of my favorite sketches ever. He says, "Now let me just remind you, when you go to Italy on a Pirelli." Tour, it's still going to be you. Well, if you're un- <laughs> so, if you're unhappy, or like if your marriage isn't very good in New Jersey, when you're in Sicily, you're still unhappy. <laughs> it's like a disclaimer ad where he's explaining because he has all these unhappy customers. Uh huh. That's great. If you have a drinking problem on Long Island. When you go to Rome, <laughs> you still have that drinking problem. I, I can't underscore this enough. <laughs> That's brilliant. It is genius. That is. That is. But travel does change your mood. It does. And I did have that experience a bunch of times where I was either working or doing an audition in Germany or Austria and then took the train <laughs> south into Italy. And I did have that feeling when you cross over into Italy, you think, ah. What would you rather, would you rather be working in Italy with your loved one coming along with you? Or would you rather be vacationing in oh. Italy with your loved one? I, I generally like working. You know, I like those. I like being there working. And then also when you worked like those gigs, you would have potentially rehearsals from 10 to 1 in the morning, potentially, and then potentially from 2 to 5. So basically only- what you're saying to your significant other is, I love you. I want to take you to Italy as long as somebody is paying for it. And I don't have to spend 24 hours with you. Well, that, that goes without saying. I don't think anyone I've never. I don't know. Do you know couples like that? I knew a guy once on a gig. In fact, he was in I was in Israel singing with that opera in Tel Aviv. There was a young guy from Austria. He was there with his wife. He would say no to every invitation. He wouldn't go anywhere. He and his wife traveled and worked together constantly. That was one of the only couples I've ever met in my life where they're happy and they want to be with each other all the time. These are Austrians in Israel. Maybe they, they just they don't. Want, maybe they don't <laughs> want to spend time with Israelis. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't that. But um, no, I think um, you know. It's a rare, I think that's a rare thing. How much it? time, how much time should a couple spend together? Um, I would say it's like, let's, let's say you're living together or cohabitating. So there's eight hours already. You're sleeping. In you're the same sleeping. Place. Yeah. Right. So that's eight. So that, now you're down to just, there's only 16 hours left to deal with. Right. So out of the remaining, <laughs> out of the remaining 16 
eight of those, you should be at a job. Right. Nine of those. That nine. Now you're down to seven. Right. So you got seven more to deal with. I would say three and a half of those you should should be so spent like dinner, dinner and a movie, for example. Right. So yeah, more than three and a half. It's codependency. It's it's suffocating. You can't breathe. You know, I, I don't. I, I I don't know. I just know uh, it. I don't know a lot of people that can function that way. Just totally on top of, totally on top all the time. But but there are those, aren't there? There are those. Just sewn, like, you know, like just sewn onto each other, sharing one heart. Isn't that what we want in life to just share our being with, with one other person? Is that, who is that? Was that the platonic ideal? Where like the one is looking for the other, the half you find your other. Well, that's half. in that's in Plato's Symposium. Yeah. Aristophanes says we were connected and cut cut right, off. Right, so you're looking for that other half. So without right. that other, but I don't know. I um, you've heard the expression "ball and chain." Yes. Well, I think that people can start experiencing if there's too much. Now, in a relationship. Do you prefer being the ball or the chain? That's right. I like um, being the chain. Chain, you, chain, you, you, chain. You, it's good for the spine. You're moving. The ball is, if you're the ball, you're just there like a lump. I don't know. Um, I'd rather be the chain. Then there's the question, which is legitimate. Is monogamy just a recent affectation? and a sublimation of the natural tendency to you know create as much hybrid vigor as possible through copious coupling and procreation yeah. you know so but that you know that can get really expensive you got, <laughs> you got, you got, that's a lot of dinners is there something lower than monogamy there's polygamy, and then below that is monogamy. Monogamy. And then what would be... You know what's harder? <clears throat> well, the, the, that's the punchline before the setup, but I had that joke, which is, uh, you know what's harder than mahogany? <laughs> <laughs> monogamy. <laughs> That's a great joke. That's like a, a remember Bazooka Joe? They had the little yeah. comic strips. In, yeah, it's the, a riddle. Yeah, that's uh, um, I, I would think below monogamy would be nothing. Yeah, right? Owning. No, no, huh? Owning is Yeah. Um, where, where you're just by yourself. Mono, mono, monogamy, one couple, yeah. I don't know, man. I wish I knew the answers. I went to a therapist, I think when I was 22. And he said, what can I do for you? And I said, you know, I just have this thing about relationships. I just don't, I don't know, like I would get into it with a lot of enthusiasm and very quickly freeze up and want want out. (laughs) I was 22. And I, I recognize this as a sort of fundamental challenge of mine. And I, you know, in the recent decades, I've, I haven't behaved that way, but I still, I would say I never really solved that. Mm -hmm. I stopped living according to that 
let's say, that neurosis. It's still there, but I just don't obey it. If if your father were here, yes. by the way, Ethan's father is a Freudian psychoanalyst. Yes. The, the question I would ask him right now, so you'll have to answer this. Next week, we can do this with... Wonderful. We'll, we'll, we'll be back. Wunderbar. Is... Does a patient with a psychiatrist and the transference, mm -hmm. does the patient have to be monogamous? Can the patient see two psychiatrists and um, have two separate transferences? Right. And it, what, what, what would, would the doctor object to a patient having a morning you know, shrink? Like it's the same as like a, an MTA driver on the M86, like the Crosstown bus. Just <laughs> one transfer per customer. <laughs> like, no, you're not allowed to. You're, you're, not, you're, allow you're, you're not allowed to see yeah. a, a, a shrink on the weekends? A know. guma? You know, the and what? A guma, you know, like, a, oh. you know, the mob has their gumas oh. on Friday nights. Oh, I see. They go right. out with their gumas. Right. Thursdays with the wife, Fridays with the girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There is a, a concept I know from the, the Zen teacher I listen to sometimes out in Michigan. There's a, a book he recommends, which is related to this topic. It's, it's a, a book about something he, that's called spiritual materialism which is someone who would behave like you're describing only with spiritual teachers. Like mm. go from this guy to that guy. Today I'm doing Zen. Tomorrow I'm doing Tibetan. Then I'm going to watch a little bit of self-help. Then I'm going to read this. and that. So treating it like a, I, what do I know? I yeah. don't know, man. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I, you know, this was a joke I really liked, which was that um, um, you know, polytheism um, I can't remember the, the whole joke, but um, it was my joke and I can't remember it. But the idea that like you're, you're sort of, there's, there's a sense of, well, I guess you can get it done. You can be polytheistic and very religious. You don't have to devote all of your energies to a single. Well, now, what, what, a polytheist, what? is that where you worship a canary, a parakeet? Yeah. What, what is polytheism? Yeah, you, where you worship supermarket mozzarella <laughs> polyotheism <laughs> on a cracker is it do yeah. you put polio mozzarella on a cracker yeah. is that uh, a national right. brand because at the korean deli i always it was called polio that was like yeah, poly... mozzarella in the 80s i don't know yeah. if it's always oh, yeah of course okay. yeah yeah it's mozzarella. Uh, i i stopped with the dairy so i don't know yeah, occasionally. Oh, oh. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Occasionally. Polytheism would be multiple gods. So right. like Poseidon says, not going to happen. You right. go to Zeus. Yeah. Go ask your mom. Yeah. Go, Can yeah. I, Can I right. ask around. I put a, I'm going to pray to the. And is that how you, is you shop around for different gods and the one that works for you, you keep praying to. Right. That's the spiritual materialism. And that would be the. I guess what one would assume would be missing in a person who's unable to really commit and be deeply attached to a single partner that they're actually uh, looking for, looking for it in many places because they can't really get it anywhere. And um, the, the Zoastrians were the first ones to come up with 
oh. one god, right? I, I, I don't know. Is that right? I think so. And then, then uh, Abraham right. said, this is good. But yeah. what do you need to make all these idols for? Right. Get rid of the idols. It's a pain in the... It literally is a pain in the neck to schlep them around right. all day. Just worship a god in your head, and then he's... It's like the internet. You right. got rid of the brick and mortar. Right, 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 right. It, it was, no it was warehouses. Yeah, yeah. I like yeah. it. See, and he smashed the idols. Right. Yeah. Um... And, yeah. What are you reading before we go? God damn it, man. I've been in a long stretch of just reading the news. It's not healthy. I was also reading a bunch of Edgar Allan Poe. I have an, an old volume of, of just his collected works. I was really loving that. He's hard um, to read, isn't he? He's not really easy. He has a he has that arcane vocabulary. So it's why do you enjoy to... reading something that's difficult? Well, it's not super difficult. It's not like Faulkner, where it's it's mind bending, or Joyce, where right. you just don't know what's happening. It's it's just challenging. The way Melville is challenging. Well, Maybe Melville, little, Melville was it? What? I was saying a little less challenging than Melville. I, I did that two years ago. But, but Melville isn't yeah. challenging. Oh, I found it tough. I going. find Poe challenging. Oh, okay. Well, what are you reading of Poe's? Oh, I just read all those, The Fall of the House of Usher, and uh, just a bunch of those those, those short stories. Um, he also has one in that volume, which is almost like a Moby Dick kind of story. It's just a guy and his adventures at sea. It's like a novel. I think it's his only novel. And it's, hmm. it's, it was hard hard to take. So I, I didn't but get you, all But you plowed through it. No, no. You didn't. I gave up after about 20 or 30, 40 pages maybe. Well, um, but I've been reading. So, oh, I, I did want to say we did that fundraiser for Warnock um, for the Georgia runoff. Um, the Reverend Barry Lynn, who I know from your show, we did this runoff uh, fundraiser and it went very well. It was very fun. We hosted it and the comedians who joined were who, who the comedians who entertained on the show were uh, it was Roy Wood Jr. Mm. and Alonzo Bowden. Wow. Yeah. So they. Um, they were on the Zoom and we ended up raising quite a bit of dough. And um, again, we saved democracy just like two years ago. You so, did that two years ago. Yes, yeah. you did. You, you, yeah, yes, and, you uh, did. We did it again. So that was good news. Great. Thank you yeah. for doing that. That's a little bit of good news. Uh, we can take no credit because we raised, I was hoping we would raise 10 grand. We amazingly, you know, that event raised 24 grand. Which you raised think, wow. 24 grand? Yeah, which you think that's a huge amount of money. Yes. But I was hoping we would raise five or 10. We raised 24. But they spent, I think the Warnock camp spent 53 million. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's crazy to, anyway, we don't have to get into that whole subject, but it's. What's it's crazy is that two thirds of the white people in Georgia voted f for Walker. It, yeah. 68%. That is scary. It should not have been that close. However, I watched his concession speech. Great. And I thought, you know, it's you get revved up and you really dislike a Republican. And I thought this is a different side to the when, when he said you got to respect the elected officials and the Constitution. I got the chills and I and I saw a completely different Herschel Walker, a patriot Absolutely. who said, I'll take it here, 
but I'm not taking it here. Right. And, and, and I have, uh, I completely, I, I've done a complete 180 on him. I have right. no, nothing but respect. Uh, yeah. I mean, in comparison to the rest of his team who now just deny up and down or, mm -hmm. or won't concede, even if they don't deny, they just won't concede. Uh, he did the right thing. Um, and also, I think I heard someone comment, and I agree that he must have been extremely relieved because he knew as well as everyone else that he's not qualified for that job. It's not an easy job. No, not at all. And it's a six-year gig. Jesus. And he's not a buffoon. He no. played it a certain way. Right. And he didn't ask Trump to campaign with him. And that concession speech... In my estimation, erased everything else that right. I found reprehensible about it. I got to watch it. I just saw snippets. Yeah, I know it was only four minutes. But yeah. um, so, um, thank you for Thanksgiving. That was amazing. Thank you. It for was coming. amazing. We met, we met in person again. Should we talk? We we should we talk about Loki for one second? Sure. Yeah. Uh, beautiful Loki, who's still with us, uh, our 15 plus year old shepherd mix, um, who was uh, who's chugging along. He's on various pain meds, various things. And we thought he was at the end, but he's rallied and he's he's holding on. And, uh, you know, thank goodness we were we thought we were saying goodbye to him a week ago. But he got a it was like getting a stay of execution phone call from the governor. Right. right when the guy's about to flip the switch. It was that sort of thing. Right. Um, the vet was not available for the appointment we had made. So we delayed it. And then I, then he, he rallied. So. And are you able to focus on low? No, you know that the, the clock is ticking. Yes. Yes. Are I'm you, ab are you able to, to just really focus and enjoy every second, aren't you? Yes. Almost like a Buddhist yes, moment. Yes, it's a challenge. It's an invitation to do that. So I try to do that uh, with some success. Um, and then you get distracted, something like you brood about something in your career and you think, oh, I'm going to miss yeah, this. Even, even if you're spending time with this beloved creature and even while you're, you're going to be petting his head, and you could even then be distracted by the thought of his death. Right. Which is also at that moment a distraction. Even though it is coming up soon, it's not right now. Right now he's alive and licking your face. Right. So even that is like a that's not a, a clear experience of of you know, it's a gift that he's still with us. And so And he's fifteen. Yeah, fifteen. What are they normally three months ago? I'm sorry? Oh, he turned 15 three months ago. So I think he's 107 if you do the if you do that 7x. Okay. Or how old do they normally live? Like a shepherd mix, you'd expect 12 maybe. Like he's in triple overtime right now. He's Right. He's and up there. Yeah. Yeah. It's horrible because you can't complain. Right. Well, but you um, will anyway. Yeah. I'll complain. But well, no no, he's good. He's good and uh yeah. Hopefully next yeah. week he'll yeah. Um, yeah. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. All right, um, buddy. This is good. Everybody yeah. should go buy Today Is Now. Today Is Now. And where do you, where do you buy this? You buy, you buy it um, on a, it's a uh, 
It's a French uh, bookseller. You can find him online. It's called Amazon. Amazon.com. No, it's on Amazon. It's called Today is Now. It's very funny. Go to Amazon. There's nothing wrong with Jeff Bezos. He's a good, good man. Go to Amazon. We give you permission. Yeah, you have a dispensation. Yeah. Go to Amazon. Get Today is Now. I recommend the hardcover because it's a little more substantial. And uh, and then go to Mary Strickmas. Mary Strickmas, please come out. And bring the book. More. Bring the book. Bring the book. I'll sign it. it Mary yeah. Strickmas, Christmas Eve, Saturday night at the comic strip on 2nd Avenue and 82nd Street in New York, New York. The comic strip, great room, uh, a, a storied comedy club. It's a great night. There's and a, a great headliner. Show. I'm headlining. It's a 7 o'clock show and a 9.30 show. Great lineup, great club. Promo code Ethan with a capital E. And, uh, you know. And you promo code for, you type in what over at Eventbrite? Oh, yeah, you go to Eventbrite and uh, look for Mary Stickmas or just go to the comic strip and you'll see the event listed. Um, and, uh, yeah, go to the comic strip and it'll lead you to the Eventbrite. Fantastic. And, thank you, um, Ethan. Thank you very much. And uh, next I week, look forward to it. Next week. It worked. <laughs>